Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Sophie. That was great. Really good. For those that didn't know, Sophie competed for Ireland. But Ben also competed, competed for England in chess. That's impressive, isn't it? Your kids are going to come out really, like, like really talented. We've got some internationals in our church, folks. We've got to big it up. Thank you for that. Thank you for your honesty and openness. Folks, let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you so much that it is profitable, relevant for us today. And we ask, Lord, that as we spend some time thinking about joy and what it is and what it means, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us for your glory's sake. Amen. So often, folks, when we think of joy, we think about happiness. Or we think about uh, uh, being in a good mood. Or we think about maybe somebody's personality type. We always have those people in our lives that are just all joyful all the time. In any circumstance, they just exude joy. Other times we think about a joy that's tied to a particular circumstance or a particular experience that we are having. Often we think of joy when things are going well. But when things are going hard, joy is not the word that we would use. And at other times, when we think of joy, we think of it as the emotion we feel of thinking about something good from the past. Something good from the past. I think, hands down, the best thing on the internet, apart from the Bible, is the James Corden's Carpool Karaoke with Paul McCartney in Liverpool. It's amazing. For those who don't understand what that is, James Corden, he's a comedian from England that has done really well in America, and he came up with this idea that he would drive a car around with a camera and get like a, a, you know, a pop star in and just drive around wherever they are singing the songs. That's all it is, the concept, and it's brilliant. Now, the best one is what happened in 2018. And the way I would describe the 24-minute YouTube clip is pure joy pure joy now as you watch the clip you see the different ways the joy is experienced by everyone you see the people who experience the joy including James Corden just by being in the presence of Paul McCartney you see the joy of of the florist and the the person working in the barbershop who, who on that morning didn't think that one of the greatest songwriters of all time would walk in for a haircut or to buy some flowers to buy some flowers you see the joy of people singing along in the philharmonic pub where people who were there got a surprise concert and as people were singing what you saw was the joy as it triggered memories and emotions for people to the point where people had tears running down their faces and it brings to the forefront as you watch it a joy of longing longing for times that have been and gone Especially for those of us in Liverpool, when you hear those certain songs that we all know, that we are all reminded of as, as we walk down Penny Lane and see Sergeant Peppers and go past the barbershop, it triggers memories of days gone by and longing, and you see it in the clip, for every day to be like that particular day. One particular clip uh, after Paul McCartney had explained the origins of Let It Be. He explains how the song Let It Be came about. James Corden, in the midst of complete silence, with tears in his eyes, said this. 
If my granddad were here right now, he'd get an absolute kick out of this. This was a moment of joy, not sadness, as James called it. But joy in remembering his grandfather. See, thinking of his grandfather brought him joy, not sadness, in this moment. And part of that joy is created not because his grandfather could suddenly appear in the back seat. But that he knew he couldn't. See, the joy in some sense is the longing for these memories, not the irretrievability of them. There's a joy in the longing of them, not the irretrievability of them. Now, C.S. Lewis, who was a professor in, in time at Cambridge and a time in Oxford, talked about this kind of joy in his book called Surprised by Joy. And he describes it as this, as an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction and any particular kind of happiness or grief. And he says, this is the kind of joy we all actually want. See, the memories of good times were, for C.S. Lewis, as joyful as the experience of them. Proving, folks, that the very nature of joy makes nonsense of a common distinction between having and wanting. How many times have we had, we have the joy of looking forward to something, maybe next Sunday. <laughs> actually, the joy of longing for it is far greater than actually what happens when we receive it. See, for C.S. Lewis, joy is akin to the German word, and I had to ask my brother-in-law how to say this. And if I get it wrong, Chris, I want you to shout out. Is that okay? The German word, Zensucht. Is that right? Zensucht. Okay. Right. And this is what it means. It means an inconsolable longing. An inconsolable yearning. An inconsolable craving that is itself desirable. As opposed to pleasure or amusement. And this understanding of joy, folks, C.S. Lewis says, and I think he's right, emphasizes our pilgrim status as Christians. We have, on one level, an inconsolable yearning and an inconsolable longing as human beings. There's something that we're longing for that, that, that can't be consoled. But as Christians who understand the joy of what it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ, on our pilgrimage towards a new creation, the truth of the joy that is found in him and what he promises will remind us in our state of inconsolable longing. It will beckon us in our state of inconsolable longing. It will awaken desires in us that are only God-given in the midst of our inconsolable longing. Now what's interesting, as you read through the accounts around the first coming of the Lord Jesus, you see the promise and realization of joy. Of joy. And it's the promise and realization of joy for the longing hearts of God's people. I got three points this morning. The first one is this. Joy for the hearts that have been longing. You got your Bibles turned to Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 7. It'll be on the screen. It'll be on the screen. Let me read it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Folks, when this was said to God's people, God's people were longing for freedom. The desire that they have as individuals and as as a nation is for them to be free from fear. It is for them to be free and and to rest from the constant threat of attack that was happening for them. And through Isaiah, God makes a promise that a child would come and on him will rest a government and a kingdom. And he will serve as a king who is benevolent, as a king who is mighty, as a king who is peaceful, and he will reign with justice and righteousness. See, this was the very longing of the hearts of God's people because their kings were in the grip of compromise and in the grip of cowardice. And look what this king will bring. Look what this kingdom will bring, verse 3. It will increase their joy. See, the seeing of light in the darkness will bring a balm to the longing hearts and they will rejoice like the joy that they have when their harvest is plentiful, when the harvest provides all that they need. And the joy will be such, verse 3, that they will be glad like the day of victory, the victory of a battle over their enemies. See, folks, 750 years before the Lord Jesus was born, when this promise was made, there is a longing for God's people that will continue for a fair that 750 years for them. But this promise and the longing for change, for peace, for freedom will be the promise that enables them to continue. Do you see that? The pain will remind them of the promise. The silence will in some way awaken the desire for what has been promised by God to his people. See, the promise of Jesus' coming was the joy for hearts, the joy that hearts have been longing for. See, hearts that are longing need a promise. And not only do they need a promise, they need good news. Fast forward 750 years. Jesus has been born. The shepherds are on the hillside. And the angel comes to the shepherds And it tells us in Luke chapter 2, it says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
for 750 years. People have been longing for the coming of this baby that had been promised to them. And the good news as the shepherds are on the mountainside is this, the wait is over. The son, the king that had been promised has been born. The joy of freedom, release, the longing of a nation is now at end. They will be saved. It is good news. And this good news sparked happiness. Of course it did. Of course it did. Like good memories of the past, times that we love, this news sparked joy. A state of happiness in knowing that the wait was over. It was over. And folks, let us not shortchange the shepherds. We should never do this. And try and communicate that the shepherds were like the outcasts of the community, the people who were out there that were uneducated and nobody knew. No. Their job was important. These people were responsible for ensuring that the lambs without blemish were provided for, for Passover and for sacrifice. They would have known the promises of Isaiah. So when the angel said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, they would have known. They would have known. Their very life's work was all about a lamb that could die in place of God's people and they were going to find him in swaddling clothes the very material that they would wrap up a lamb without blemish to ensure that it was not damaged they knew see this good news was great joy for them but the angels said that it would be great joy for all people for those with a longing heart need a promise but they need good news and those with longing hearts need consolation. After the Lord Jesus was born, on the eighth day, as was the custom, he had to be taken to the temple to be circumcised. So that he was physically set apart to be one of God's people. And Jesus is presented to the temple and he meets an old man. And Simeon, an old man, had been waiting. And God had made a promise to him and said to him that he would not die till he sees the Savior, till he sees the consolation of Israel, which means the comfort of Israel. And Simeon takes Jesus in his arms, and this is what he says in Luke 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now I can die. My life is fulfilled. For my eyes, verse 30, have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentile and for glory to your people, Israel. Folks, Simeon for years was waiting for the comfort of Israel. He was waiting for Jesus. The longing of his heart and the longing of Israel is met with consolation, the comfort that only Jesus can bring. Folks, as we hear these stories, as we look at this nativity scene, as we sing songs about it, every year, at this time of year, all over the coming of Jesus, we see the longing of the human heart. We see the longing for freedom, for guidance out of the darkness, for stability, for the news of salvation, for consolation and for comfort. And what we see is that the longing is met with the joy of a promise, with the joy of good news, and with the joy of his comfort. Folks, as human beings, we long for news that will bring us out of difficulty. Amen? 
we do. Whether it's health issues, finance issues, relationship struggles, or just from the torment of life itself, we as human beings long for good news. We long for consolation and comfort. We long for a promise of light to be shone in the darkness. See, what we see in the joy that runs through the events of Jesus' birth is a joy that is not fleeting. It's not a joy that is about escapism, but rather it is joy that is a permanent companion as we travel as pilgrims. See, the good news of the coming of Jesus, the gospel which was promised many years ago, which puts us right with God and deals with our greatest need, always reminds, it always beckons, and it always awakens our desire in the moments of longing. It always does. See, the gospel of Jesus and the joy of knowing what, what he has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection and that he is reigning with justice and righteousness brings us consolation. It brings us comfort in the darkest moments. So Sophie said, in the midst of the mundaneness, not that being a mum is dark, not that she's saying that's dark, but even in the midst of darkness, mundaneness, in the times of great blessing the truth of the gospel if we know it beckons us and awakens us to something that is far greater than what we are experiencing whether it's difficult whether it's mundane or whether it is joyous in and of itself see folks in Jesus' birth there is joy for hearts that have been longing number two there's joy in his presence there's joy in his presence one of the obvious things when watching the carpool karaoke with Paul McCartney was the joy that people experienced by simply being in Paul McCartney's presence. Now, let me tell you a little bit of a story about that day. On that particular day, I was working at home. And I, we live at the top of Church Road, and you can actually see Sergeant Peppers and Penny Lane. Now, at that time, Sophie was living with us as an intern. And a few weeks after that particular day, came up on YouTube, I'm watching it, I'm like, look, look at that, I'm crying, I mean, I'm enjoying the joy of it, oh, it's where we live, oh, imagine if I'd have walked past, imagine if I'd have got to see Paul McCartney, and Sophie says, oh, I walked all past all that. <laughs> what do you mean you walked all past that? Well, I walked past, and I saw there were cameras, and there were all things going on, I thought, well, that's unusual, and I came back in, and I'm like, Sophie, was this on this particular day? And she said, yeah. I said, we had the conversation as soon as you walked through the door. Why didn't you tell me that Paul McCartney? Because I'm telling you folks, I would have found joy being in the presence of Paul McCartney. Of course I would. Of course I would. Now hear me, I'm not making Paul McCartney out to be any sort of saviour. But there was a real joy as you watch that video of pe people being in the presence of who he is. And what's interesting, as you read through the Christmas story, you see, you read through it, you see the joy that people experience by being in his presence. Just by being in the presence of a baby. See, before Mary got pregnant with the Lord Jesus, her cousin Elizabeth got pregnant with John, who was John the Baptist. And the story behind that is amazing. Read that. I'll encourage you to read that in Luke chapter 1. It's wonderful. But when Mary got pregnant, she decided to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with, with, uh, with John. And this is what happened. Let me read it to you. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, when Mary arrives with Jesus in her womb, verse 41 and 44, John, John leaps for joy and is filled with the Holy Spirit. It brought joy for the baby in the womb of Elizabeth, and it brought joy for Elizabeth. She's just Jesus' presence in the midst of being in the womb of his mother brought joy for those who were in that presence, in, in his presence. And we see the joy expressed by the wise men, the magi that traveled from the east. And in Matthew 2, verses 9, it says this, After listening to the king, they went out on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. See, folks, these Magi, they were students of the stars, and they had followed the star to Judea because from their studies, they'd worked out from looking at the Old Testament that the Messiah, the baby, would be born in Judea, but they didn't know exactly where. So where did they go? They went straight to King Herod. Now, very quickly, they come to realize that King Herod did not know, and King Herod wanted to know for other reasons, so they move on. But the star then shows them specifically where in Judea the baby will be. This would have been about two years after Jesus' birth. And it comes over the house, and when the star stops, they're filled with joy. And the passage goes on to say that they walked into the house, and they met the Lord Jesus, and they fell down and worshipped. See, folks, the response of joy that these people had in the presence of Jesus is consistent with who he is and what he longs for us to know and for us to have. It's consistent. David in Psalm 16 wrote this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. See, King David said that God makes known the path of life which brings us pleasure in the presence of God and fullness of joy. See, the path of life which God makes known and gives is a life of joy that will last for an eternity. And this is a fullness of joy that Jesus, when he grows up, asks his Father to fill us with. So David says a thousand years before Jesus is born that, that the, the, the path to life is found in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. And Jesus also says that this is the joy that he wants us to know. And in John 17, not long before he is crucified, he says this, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's his prayer to his father. I'm going to come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. See, the fullness of joy that Jesus is speaking about is the revelation of himself as the word of God. The fullness of joy is knowing God and enjoying his presence in and through his word. That's what Jesus is saying. The things that I've spoken, the things that I have done in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. See, David says, King David 
you make known to me the path of life. Through your word, I know you. And there I find fullness of joy. And Jesus prays that what he has revealed will fill us with joy. Folks, the long, joyful longing heart is found in the presence of Jesus. It is found in the one who was at the right hand of the Father. David says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the word of promise. He is the word of comfort. He is the word of good news. He is the gospel. To respond with joy in his presence is consistent with who he is and what he wants for us. It's consistent. Folks, we don't need a different story. We don't need less suffering in order for us to, in, to know joy. We don't need more guarantees for this experience for joy. His joy, if you are a Christian, is in the core of your hearts. See, the joy that we have in Jesus transcends and it transforms our tears. It transcends and transforms our circumstances. It transcends and it transforms our heartaches. And my prayer is that he makes this increasingly real to us. The writer of the psalm, Psalm 73, said this to God. Nevertheless, I, continue, I, continually, I am continually with you because you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, the joy for the longing heart is found in the presence of God. And finally, number three, there is joy in what he has promised. See, the Bible shows us that joy is tied up ultimately to God's character, folks. Joy is not something that's like out there. And it's joy can't be found outside of who he is. It is ultimately tied to his character. Who he is, what he has said, and it's tied to him, not tied to our circumstances. Because our circumstances change. Our circumstances will go up and they will go up down. However, God's character is fixed. Amen? It's fixed. He does not change. He's always trustworthy. See, there is one reason why this joy is so precious. It does not depend simply upon things going well for you, but upon God being faithful. And we know that he is faithful. See, the joy that we have because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us does not depend on whether it goes right for me or wrong for me. It doesn't depend on whether I compete for Ireland or overnight it is taken away. This joy depends on who God is and he is always faithful. See, the second way that this is connected to our joy is precisely because of what Jesus came to do. See, Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to save us and rescue us from the penalty of sin. He came to save us and rescue us and to meet our greatest need. 
See, he lived a perfect life in our place. He died the death that we deserve. His life and his death were for us. In every way that we failed, he succeeded. Amen. See, folks, think about this. Your greatest and most pressing issue in all the world for your entire life is this. How will you take care of your guilt before God? And Jesus has dealt with that. Wow. Jesus has dealt with that. All the stuff that I have ever done, thought, said, all the sins that I have committed, all the things that I haven't done when I should have done them, all the things that I'm thinking even now, and all the things that I'm going to do that bring guilt upon me before a holy God, Jesus, in his goodness and his kindness, has dealt with that. So the Father looks at me and says, well done, son. Well done, son. That brings joy, folks. That brings joy. See, Jesus has taken care of this. He's taken care of our primary issue. This is a reason to be joyful. Even in spite of all the brokenness that we feel. See, folks, when we think of the reality of life without Jesus, our longing is inconsolable, isn't it? And even at times with Jesus, the darkness of our circumstances feels heavy and hopeless. But brothers and sisters, please know this, that Jesus came to save us. He came to save those who were in darkness. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. There is a joy in knowing who he is, what he has done, and what he promises that reminds, beckons, and awakens our desires for the greatest joy that is still to come that is still to come. The Lord Jesus in John 16, not long before he goes uh, to the cross and uh, rises again and ascends to be his father, says this to his disciples, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Folks, when we see him face to face, our joy will finally be full. And nobody will take that joy from us. Amen. John Piper says this, our human souls ache. Not only for the divine, but for the divine human. Our God-shaped vacuum is actually cut for the God-man, Jesus. And Jesus is the visible human image of the glorious invisible God. He is the radiance of the Father's glory that streams to light our human eyes. He is the exact imprint of his nature and stoops so far as to take ours. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. To see and enjoy the God-man is what it means for man to see and enjoy God. For all eternity, Jesus will make the Father known to us. And when he returns, he will make all things new. That the longing of our hearts in the midst of the brokenness will be over because the joy that we will receive from seeing him and experiencing a world without sin and pain and sorrow will give us a joy that I cannot explain. And it is that promise that as pilgrims who are moving towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is that promise that beckons, that awakens, and fills us with a joy that is unspeakable, that is an overflowing well 
that no tongue, no experienced speaker or writer could ever express. The joy that is for the longing heart is found in that Jesus will come again. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, wrote this hymn. Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our sins and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the joy that can only be found in you. And we thank you that when we read and we just look, the one thing that covers the whole truth of the coming of the Lord Jesus, the thing that is experienced by those who were in his presence, was joy. Joy that a promise had been fulfilled. The joy for being in the presence of the Savior of the world. The joy that he would come to save his people from their sins and the joy that he will return to make all things new. I thank you that that promise is still true for us today, that you, the Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, are present amongst us and in us and that you reveal to us who you are in the midst of the wonder of your word and we can sit in your presence and know that joy, whatever the circumstances having our hearts beckoned, our desires raised, as we lift our heads and our hearts to see that when you return, you will make all things new. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when you come, there will be people in this room, and you will sit in front of them, and you will answer the questions that they have. And you will wipe away the tears that they have. And those who are struggling with all sorts of illnesses and and mental health problems and difficulties, they will be no more. And we will live in a world where nobody will die. And we'll be right in your presence, enjoying you and enjoying life as you intended and as we should enjoy as human beings who love you and worship you. Father, fill us with the joy of knowing you. Whatever the circumstances of our lives, we pray that the joy that is unspeakable will be evident for us and for others. And that joy, that joy that at times feels even inappropriate, is a joy that stares our hearts for the hope, true hope, real hope, that is only found in the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much. Every year we get to read this stuff. Forgive us, forgive me for this being come. Just taking it for granted. And missing the reality of the coming of Christ, the incarnation, the word becoming flesh. To save people like us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, we need you. This world needs you. And Father, I also think of all the people who found joy in Spend the time with Paul McCartney. Save those people, we pray. That they would know a joy in meeting you, Jesus. 
is far greater. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.